Please pray with me. Gracious God, seek to us now. Seek to us in the midst of our corruptible state. By the word of grace, by your spirit, raise us to be incorruptible with Christ. We thank you, God, for the promise of your word. We thank you for the hope that it brings. In Jesus' name. When we left Jesus and the disciples last week, they had just finished this huge and satisfying meal that began with five loaves and two fish. They were all lying about in the spring grass at the edge of the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, a very large body of water, but not so large that on a clear day you couldn't see from the far end of the valley. And the last gray moments of a beautiful day were ending. And as the disciples loved the baskets of their leftover blessing to the edge of the crowd, Jesus said, I want you to put them in the boat, and I want you to get in the boat, and I want you to sail to the other side. Don't worry about me. I'm going to need some downtime. I'll meet you on the other side. I'm going to go pray. So down they went to the margin of the lake, the margin of the dry land and the sea, it's not only for the people in Jesus' time a place where matter turns to water instead of soil, but it's also a margin of spiritual threshold. For the seeds in the time of Jesus were thought to contain all of the spiritual chaos and the forces of darkness that are in the world. It was the realm of demons and haunts. Jesus stayed behind to gently speak the final words of blessing and to speak to individuals and to quietly dismiss the crowds into a gentle and good night. But the night was just beginning for the disciples. And as they walked across the little gathering of pebbles on the shore and they clambered into the boat, the boat was shoved forward and it was a good-sized fishing boat. Some of these fishermen found their old muscles just taking on their muscle memory from years and years of launching out and boat fishing. The water hits your feet and your ankles and your calves as you push the boat forward and you feel the hair on your arms and on your legs stand up from the shock of the cold and you splash into the boat. And then somebody unfurls the little square sail in the middle and with a sound of oars creaking in the locks. And the creak of the boat, as the wind sets in the sail, the thing comes to life, and they begin to move. And there stands Jesus on the shore, in the twilight, blessing the people. From there, Jesus went up into the hills to pray, and he found a quiet place to finally warn his cousin John, and to ask the Father about what the rest of his mission will look like. But for the disciples, it was a long night. Sea of Galilee and that valley in which it sits is very much like the 91 freeway corridor. <laughs> when the Santa Ana winds are blowing, you know what it can be like out there. I've tried to ride my bike up there when the Santa Ana winds are blowing. Take me an hour just to get to Green River Road. Take me 15 minutes to get back. <laughs> the wind is howling. And they were not sailing with it. And they didn't have the kind of sailboats that we see today that can, by tacking and running and reaching, 
can make great progress in the wind and use it to their advantage. So this was for them a long night of toil. And they were getting further and further from shore and further and further from where they wanted to go. And no doubt there were bright stars when the wind was up. The waves on a shallow body of water when the wind is blowing can start cropping up to 10 and 12 feet and the boat would ride up and slap down and ride up and slap down again. Must have been a harrowing experience for all, but the most experienced of them. Some would even say terrifying. They had some remarkable fishing boats in Ghana that put out from the shore, but every Tuesday, every Tuesday in Ghana, you see the entire fleet on the shore, and there are many nets that are doing things, and we think, is this, is this a fisherman's Sabbath? And our guide said, no, nobody sails on Tuesdays. Because in the local custom, Tuesday is when the demons are free to roll across the seas and tragedy will strike. So even the most devout Christian among them will stay home on Tuesdays and leave the seeds to their troubles. These things persist. The sense that we're, we're not quite safe out there. They persist even into the Gentile world away from Jesus was. You remember what Paul says, for we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the rulers of the air and the spiritual forces of wickedness. So as these intrepid fishermen and disciples, with their load of baskets and their friendship, were trying to make their way across the lake, they were encountering not only a physical test and demand, but a spiritual test and demand as well. And well into the night, in the fourth watch, between three and six in the morning, with their heads full of the spiritual possibilities that were all around them, they saw a lone figure coming across the waves to them, not swimming, not sailing, not surfing, but walking. Just walking through the storm. Walking through the spiritual mantrum. Walking calmly and serenely through the chaos. And one of them yelled out, it's a ghost. And the figure said, oh, come on, take care. It's me. And they recognized instantly the voice of Jesus. Peter, God bless him. Peter, the first to say yes to Jesus. Peter, the first to guess who Jesus' identity really was. Moments before, Jesus called him the rock upon which the church would be built. And moments later, called him Satan. Peter, who was so full of faith and impetuousness. Peter, who would say, Jesus, all the others would fall away, but I will stand by your side. And he didn't. God bless him, Peter, who has so much, so much enthusiasm. So much desire to please the Lord, who is so dear to Matthew, that whenever Matthew wants to talk about all of us together, he just sets Peter up in front of the room and says, this is what it's like to be the church. Peter says to Jesus, if it is you, then command me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on. And out of the boat he goes. And a step or two to his own astonishment, he's walking toward Jesus. And then he notices the waves. And he notices the disciples. 
And he notices the storm and the circumstances of predicament. He hears the wind and he begins to feel the water at the ankles and at the calf and at the knees. And then down he goes. And over the din of the spiritual chaos, calls out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Jesus takes him by the hand and restores him to the boat and restores the boat to its destination. And he, in the midst of the disciples, reached the other side. It's a miracle story. Matthew tells a number of them in this section of his gospel. And the people in Jesus' time and the people in Matthew's time would have understood how miracle stories work. Anybody here seen Spider-Man or Thor or Iron Man or any of these other movies? Is there anybody here who thinks that there's really a man named Tony Stark somewhere who can soar around with nuclear power and the palms of his hands and the balls of his feet? No, we don't go to the movies. We don't go to the movies to see a story about NASA factuality. We go to those movies to hear about the struggle between good and evil, between life and death, between chaos and order. Sometimes we need to give the gospel writers enough leeway to understand that when they use a miracle story like this, they're not talking about what actually happened on the lake, but they're telling us who Jesus is, and who the church is, and who Peter is, and who we are, as disciples. It's a story about us. And what happens to us when we are apart from Jesus? And what happens to us when we are together in Christ? It's not a story about gravity and water. Although, whenever I'm asked, what would you do if you could do anything that Jesus did in this time? I, would, I always answer the same. I would walk on water. And sometimes you'll see me on the back deck as I put my foot in the spa just saying, come on, Lord, this time. But no, down I go. This isn't about gravity and surface tension. This is about spiritual reality. About the world around us and what it means to be the church. For the people in that boat in Matthew's story are the church. And they're sailing through treacherous spiritual waters. And they're sailing, and from time to time, the perception of the church is that we are sailing at Jesus' command, but we have no sense of his presence with us. Have you ever been that church? Have you ever said, well, I'm doing what the Lord told me, and I'm praying, and I'm reading scriptures, and I'm singing every Sunday, and I'm bringing my offering, and I'm participating in the church, but it's been a long time since I said, sense Jesus here with me. From time to time, you'll get an intrepid spirit who is so full of the scriptures and so full of the sense of God's spirit and so full of enthusiasm and says, I just need to shed the church and get rid of all that baggage. I'm going to set out in the world and I'm going to be God's ambassador without the rest of these people. You see them all the time. Lord, if you really call me, then command me to come to you right now. And they open the door of that church and we never see them again because of their pride and their enthusiasm. They think they're above it all. And you meet them a few months later, and their spiritual height has just crashed. And they're merely swamped and overwhelmed. Because you know what's out there, don't you? I know you do. You've been watching the news all week. You've seen it. 
You've seen it. How things get turned inside out and upside down. How a nation that was born with slavery as a fact and has gone through a civil war over that issue and has gone through the civil rights movement to finally deal with can come to a day like we have this week where the man representing the KKK can stand up and say, you've deprived me of my civil rights. And as a nation, we have to ensure his right to say or lose the freedom of speech. Who can make sense of all of that? At the start of the summer, I talked about a prayer image that I had received in which we were surrounded by a great big thick hedge. And that I was trying to push through the hedge in my prayer vision and open up the pathways so that the world could have access to the church and the church could be out in the world. And we peek our head through the hedge and we see this week's headlines and we say, Dear God, let me go back and close the hedge behind me again. Please notice in the story that the church isn't sailing on safe, dry land somewhere. This church that God has given to the world, you and I, are sailing through treacherous waters filled with all kinds of spiritual disaster. And our only hope amidst the fear and the discouragement and the sense of isolation and the loneliness, our only hope is to stay with the boat I mean, you can disagree with that if you want, but I've been set on the earth to tell you that the church is the place that God has given us. That no matter how stormy the waters get, we're going to be okay. Even sometimes when people bring the world into the church and we start fighting with one another for a few minutes, we're going to be alright because sooner or later, if our hearts are filled with enough faith, just enough faith, even the little bit that Peter had, we'll understand that faith and doubt are not the opposite of one another, but in our hearts reside right next to each other. And we have a Christ who walks to us across the water. Wherever we find ourselves, he comes to us. He'll take us by the hand. Even if we're, we're far off from the church, he can re renew our spirits and bring us back and set us here where we can get healthy again. Sometimes we don't understand the miracle that we're looking at in this story because we haven't looked at it from the other side. Barbara Brown Taylor, that great author and preacher, she, she says rather playfully, what if this story had had a different ending? What if this story had ended this way? That Jesus said, come, Peter, and he leaped over the side of the boat and with a glorious slap, his feet hit the water like wet feet hitting on cement. And he found himself standing there. And he gave Jesus a big grin and he went striding across the water right to him and they hugged and embraced. And when the other disciples saw it, they came piling out of the boat and all of them began frolicking and laughing in the middle of the storm, just racing around out there, having a good time. That would make for a really fun story, wouldn't it? What a great ending to that story. Here comes the church victorious. It would be a great story. But ours is a different story. That's not the truth about us. 
The truth about us is that we doubt. You know, I believe that the trump will resound and I'll hear the Lord and I'll be with Him in glory. And I believe in the, the restoration of all things. And I believe that God will bring me into a paradise with Him and that I'll enjoy a perfect communion with Him in heaven. I believe all that. But there will be a day when the doctor tells me, six to nine months probably, Bill, and all that belief begins to look different. I know I'm going to have my doubts. I, I believe that the Lord knows our frame and that he, he knows what we need every day. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink. I believe all of that. But when that pink slip comes, and it's been one month, two months, four months, six months, a year, a year and a half, I know John is waiting. It's hard to believe. It's hard to have faith. It's hard to hang on. I believe that I've served the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who is also the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God. I believe that he has come to set peace upon the earth. When I find myself wondering, are we really talking about nuclear proliferation again after putting it away for 20 years? And I see the unrest in the South. I found myself yesterday standing at the Getty Museum with my kids. And I was looking around, and there were twice as many people as are in this room standing in a queue just to catch the monorail to go out to the museum. And it was 3.30 in the afternoon. These people were not going to have a whole day in the museum. They were just going to have a little bit of time before they blew the whistle and said, we're closed. All these people were streaming into the place. And I turned to my son, and for just a moment, just for a moment, I doubted. I said, how can our church ever be relevant? when all of these people are having so much fun up here, the top of this hill in Santa Monica. Just for a minute there, I saw the, the whole crowd going off in another direction. Just for a minute. And then my son and I started talking, and as we talked, we were recalling scriptures, and we were thinking about things, and we were remembering the church. I was remembering that we were going to have a beautiful solo this morning. And I was thinking about all of your faces. And the peace of Christ began to flood back in. Because they can offer you a beautiful moment up there on the hilltop at the Getty Museum. It's a wonderful afternoon. And when it's gone, it's gone. You can bank the memory if you want. But here, we can offer the words of life. We can offer Christ to the world. Here we become his body. Here is where we can admit to one another, not that we're glorious, perfect people on a plane ride to heaven, but that we are people who doubt. Here it's okay to have doubts. Here it's okay to not always be certain. Here we can freely confess to one another how incredibly hard it is and then we can have one another to say, yeah, but don't jump over. If you jump over, it's a spiritual sex school out there. Save it. Save it a little bit. 
be a part of God's faith movement. Hmm. All week long, people were wondering, what are we going to do about what's happening in the South? What are we going to do about North Korea? What are we going to do about all these things that are taking place? I'll tell you what we're going to do. Would you all pull the hymn out of your rack? Let's pull out a hymn. Would you all turn to page 40? Page 40. Page 40. Do you all see what's there? These are the vows that we take in our baptism. See the light they type at the top? You want to say it with me? Do you? Go ahead. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sins. And we say, what does the next one say? God and 
our speech. These are the weapons that Christ gave us to use. And I'm urging you, as citizens of God, to live out your baptismal vows and to live that out with me. To speak the word of faith boldly. To turn to one another in your doubts and pray each other back into a sturdy place. To cry out with me that Christ will be here always in the center of this room and nothing that does not belong to Jesus will ever prevail in this space. That our anger will be forgiven. That our insults and our injuries will be forgiven. That our wounds will be bound up. That our spiritual weakness will be made strong. That our bent spiritual legs will stand and run and not be weary and walk and not grow faint. That this place will be an alternative to everything you see out there. And when we are strong enough in the Lord, we will set sail right across those demonic seas, bearing witness and testimony to Jesus Christ. This is our call. This is our destiny. This is who we were made to be. And if you don't tell somebody about Jesus this week, then I expect to see you at the prayer rail of confession next God is calling you to bear witness, to talk about Jesus, who comes to us through the demonic waters of chaos, to rescue, restore, to bear with his church. Amen.